0: concrete, you, put, uh, dig, a, you know, dig a hole out and put boards up and make a form, and that concrete fills that form. And so the form is just there to kind of show you, well, this is where the concrete is going to go, and this sets the limits, but it's not the true thing. If you're pouring a patio or a porch, the form is not the true thing. It's not the porch, but it's a form of the porch. And we need to understand and realize in our life that it's possible for us to have a form of godliness where maybe we look godly and we act godly and maybe even we think we are godly. But when it comes down to it, it's, we're really just getting the squint test. Uh, uh, several years ago, I used to help Larry uh, wrap lights on Christmas trees. And there's kind of a, a different way you have to balance out putting lights on a Christmas tree you have to make sure that it's lit enough to where it looks good, but maybe a, a customer doesn't want to spend so much money on lights that they have to take out a, you know, a loan at the bank to make it look good. And so we would kind of go in and we would wrap those limbs with lights and then we'd kind of step back and we'd, we'd give it the squint test and then look at it. it's like, well, it looks good if you squint, but not if you don't squint. So we'd have to redo it. And I want to make sure that as a Christian, somebody doesn't have to squint at me to make me look godly. I want the true thing. I don't want a form of godliness. I want the real thing in my life. And so what does it mean to have a form of godliness? You know, as we look at verses like this or passages like this, there's several in the New Testament, what I call laundry lists of sin. And you, it's really easy when you, when you go through a list like this to, to not think about yourself as you're reading them. I know I tend to think about, well, that's not me. That's somebody else. But in this particular list, especially when you read it and you go through it, what you don't see in here, you don't see murders, you don't see adultery or fornication or lying or theft, or, or you don't see oh, what we look at as the bad sin, you see what we call maybe everyday sin. And it's real humbling when you start to take a close look at the list of things on this list, and if we're honest with ourselves, and we look in the mirror real close, we're gonna find ourselves somewhere in this list at some point in our life. And so, as you look, have you ever been selfish in your lifetime? A lover of yourself? I have. Have you ever been proud? You know, a lot of people say that all sin can be connected to pride, and I, I don't disagree with that. Pride has been a problem in my life from time to time. Have you ever been disobedient to my parents? Well, when I was young, especially, but even when I was older, after I'd already obeyed the gospel, I disobeyed my parents. not proud of that, but it happened. Have you ever been unthankful? Have you ever been unholy in your behavior? Have you ever been without self-control? Have you ever chosen the pleasure of this world over doing what God wanted you to do? It can be a very humbling thing to honestly look at this list And I can say without question, I've found myself at this point, and sometime in my life, I've been in this list multiple times. Now, when we're talking about someone who has a form of godliness, but it still takes part in these things, we're talking about someone who is entangled and overcome in sin, but putting on the airs of someone who's not. Because we all make mistakes, I understand that. We all stumble, we're all gonna make mistakes and fall and get back up and try again. What we need to make sure is that we're dealing decisively with sin in our life, that we don't hang on to it, that we don't look for opportunity to sin. And we're not just putting on airs of I'm a godly person, but I still wanna live however I wanna live when I'm not in this building or around other Christians. Entangled and overcome. Now, I don't know your heart, I don't know your mind, I don't know what you've done in your life, but I know that all have sinned sinning comes short of the glory of God. And I know that you can find yourself somewhere in this list just like I can at some point. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's all about self-examination, and it's all about not getting comfortable with the way that we are, not becoming complacent. Because we may look at ourselves and think, I'm a pretty godly person. I come to church three times a week. You know, I do good things for people. But maybe there's something in that list that we find ourselves on that maybe we're hiding it from ourselves or maybe trying to ignore it and hiding it from other people. And we've really just got a form of godliness and not the true thing. Jesus dealt with this many times throughout the scriptures and he dealt with it most of all with the Pharisees. We see a passage here in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. He says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, "'but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence.'" Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside then may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for their outward righteousness. The Pharisees were supposed to be the cream of the crop. They were supposed to be the ones that everyone looked to to follow their example. And the the origin of the Pharisees, in fact, was this desire to break away from the continual falling away from God to idolatry and returning to God that we see all throughout the Old Testament. And the Pharisees' idea was, let's change that. Let's be what we're supposed to be. Let's be, uh, Let's be people who know the law of God and follow it. And that zeal led to, well, let's develop these traditions that go above and beyond. And so therefore, we're not even coming close to breaking the law. And then eventually, corruption set in. Eventually, we're elevating our own personal traditions up to the level of law and doctrine. And that was the Pharisees' downfall. And eventually, they became corrupt and all those sorts of things. Jesus looked at them and said, you're supposed to be the ones that everyone is looking to. They were looking to them. He said, you outwardly appear fine, but you're like that cup. You know, my kids will go to the the cabinet and pull out a cup and maybe get some milk or water. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's something in this cup. Well, you didn't get set right in the dishwasher or something. You know, I was like, well, dump it out and get another cup. But we don't want to drink out of a nasty cup. But that's what Jesus said. The Pharisees, you're like that. Here's a picture of Arlington National Cemetery. At least that's what Google told me. And we all we all know that Google's always right. So beautiful cemetery. The green grass, it's it's manicured, it's kept maintained. The the headstones are are cleaned, I'm sure, and maintained. And we look at this and think, man, I'd like to visit that sometime. That's a beautiful place. There's thousands of dead bodies underneath the grass there. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're just like those whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, and people look at it and think, oh, that's wonderful. You know, we have all these monuments and tombs in, in Washington, D.C. I'd love to visit someday. I never have. But at the end of the day, there's dead men's bones inside there. And no matter how well those bodies are preserved and embalmed, eventually they're going to grow corrupt and decompose. I don't want to be a whitewashed tomb. I don't want Jesus to look at me and say, well, you look good on the outside, but whatever's inside is, is worthless. It's hypocrisy. It's It's lies. corruption. Jesus, of course, had the ability to look into the hearts of people. He could look at the Pharisees, and he knew who each one of them was individually, and he could say, I know what you've done, and it's not what you're pretending to be. And sure, we can look at some people sometime, and by their fruits, you will know them, and we can make judgments and all that, but that's not what this is about today. This isn't about me trying to identify hypocrisy and sin in you or you or you. It's about me looking in the mirror. It's about you looking in your mirror. And can we identify maybe some areas in our lives where we've just got a form of godliness? The key to understanding, what does it mean going back to that form of godliness? How, do we, how can we identify that? How can we know if we have a form of godliness and not the true thing. I wanna go back to our original passage and take a look at this, what I think is a key part of this. He says in verse five, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So here's the key, a form of godliness, but denying its power, denying the true power of true godliness. What does that mean? When we deny the power of something. I want to take a you know a very simple example, let's say a wrench. I don't care if it's just a regular wrench or a crescent wrench or a socket wrench. What do you do with a wrench? Well, you use it to tighten nuts and bolts. That's what you use a wrench for. Now, have I ever been in the shop and I've been working on something and I need to bang something into place or whatever. Can you do a can you use a wrench for that? Sure you can. If you want to just reach here and grab a wrench that's sitting here and bang something into place or Maybe hammer a nail in a little bit. You can use a wrench for that, but that's not what it's intended for. At that point, you're denying the power of the wrench and the hammer because you're too lazy to walk across the shop and grab a hammer. The hammer is used to bang things into place. The wrench is used to tighten things down. And so, when we're using them for what they're not intended for, we're we're denying the power of those things. And I think the same thing is true when we're when we have a form of godliness. We're denying the true power of godliness. We're not using godliness, what it's intended for, or it's not accomplishing what it's intended in our lives because it's not the real thing. And for whatever reason, we're being godly or trying to act godly for the wrong reason. That's what I think it means to deny the power of godliness. So how do we deny the power of godliness? What does that look like? Well, I think first of all, it can look like earning our own salvation. I think that's in I put this very first on the list because I think this is the most dangerous trap we can fall into as Christians. Trying to use our own godliness to earn or deserve our salvation. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter three, verses four through six. He says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So he's talking about his record as a Jew here. Listen to what he says. Verse five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the, excuse me, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Now, if we were able to earn our salvation, what Paul is saying here is if, if people were able to earn their salvation, I'm the best there is. Now, Paul wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying I deserve salvation. What he's saying here is I used to think this way. I was the guy that I thought everybody should look to. I was of of Israel, the stock of Israel. I was circumcised the eighth day like I was supposed to be. I, I can trace my lineage to the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You take a look at the law, I was a Pharisee. Nobody knew the law better than me the zeal that I had in serving God, I was willing to persecute the church because I thought they were blasphemers. Righteousness, which is of the law, in other words, earning my way to heaven, blameless. That's what he said I used to be. But what he's saying here is it was wrong. I couldn't earn my way to heaven. I couldn't be good enough. Nobody can. So a form of godliness where we're thinking, oh, I'm earning my way to heaven, that's not gonna get it done. And of course, God wants us to be obedient. Of course, God wants us to have godliness in our lives. But we need to understand and we need to realize it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ and having faith in his blood and being obedient to the gospel and continuing to love and to trust him that we have salvation. Some people might want to be godly or have a form of godliness because they think they're going to get something out of it from a worldly perspective. You know, consider the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5 says a certain man named Ananias with his wife, with his Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, most of you are familiar with this story. What was going on, the church was in its infancy. People were needing help. There were people that were hungry. There were people that had needs. And so the church was coming together as a family and members were people like Barnabas were going out and selling land and giving all the money to the church and letting the apostles help people that needed it. And so here we have Ananias and Sapphira who wanna get in on this act and that's fine. They went out and they sold some property or possession And they kept back part of the money and they turned it in. They died for their sin. What was their sin though? Well, they kept back part of the money. You know, Peter tells them later on, he's like, you know what? The, The possession, the property, whatever you sold, it was yours. You could do whatever you wanted to do with it. After you sold it, the money was yours and you could do whatever you wanted to do with it. But they lied about it. They said, yeah, this is all the money we got from this and we're giving it to help those who need it. But really, what they wanted to do was look godly and then make a little cheddar on the side. That's what they really wanted to do. It wasn't the fact that they decided to keep part of the money. If they just said, hey, we sold, we sold this and uh, we don't have, we didn't, we're not giving all the money, but we're giving some of it. If they'd been straight up, up, straight up front and straight with everybody, no problem. But they lied about it. It was their intention to look godly, but yet make worldly gain on the side. Now, Most of you, all of you probably know, (laughs) there's not a lot of money in Christianity, (laughs) true Christianity. And there's prosperity gospel preachers out there who will try to convince you otherwise. Not that it's impossible for a Christian to make money or to be wealthy, not that we shouldn't be, but if we're in Christianity just for the money or just for whatever we can gain from this world, we're in it for the wrong reason. Finally, preeminence. We read in 3 John verses 9 through 10. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call, my, call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So this guy, Diotrephes, he desired or loved to have the preeminence. What is preeminence? It's just the spotlight. It's the person in charge. It's the one who wants to be seen. It's the one who wants to be heard. It's the one who wants to make all the decisions. Try to figure out a really (laughs) diplomatic way of talking about this. As an elder, uh, it's interesting to look at someone like this, especially, I've only been an elder not even a year, uh, but I think we'll all agree it's been a pretty crazy year. Um, And quite honestly, I don't understand the concept of someone who just wants to be able to be the one to make all the decisions. And 2020 is a year of, I'm more than happy to let somebody else make a decision if you want to. If you want to step in and take care of that, I'm more than happy to, to, to relinquish that. Of course, I'm, I'm, I accept the responsibility of an elder. I'm willing to do that, but uh, it's not fun sometimes. And Craig has a lot more experience than I do and can probably uh, regale you with many different examples of when that's not fun. I heard a a phrase used one time by, uh, uh, I believe it was Michael Medved, who used to be a talk radio guy. I guess he still is, but he was talking to one of his callers who had an opinion about something and his response to this caller was, sir, you're exactly wrong. (laughs) I didn't know it was possible to be exactly wrong, be accurate in your wrongness. Um, but I'm telling you right now, if you want to be, appear godly just so you can be diatrophies and to be in the limelight and be the one that gets to tell people what to do or to be the one that, where the voice is heard, you're exactly wrong. That's exactly the wrong reason to be godly. So what we see here, and we could, I'm sure come up with a lot of different reasons other than these, but these are the ones that kind of jump out at me as the ones that can really, if we're looking at that form of godliness and what does it mean to truly deny the power of godliness and what godliness is intended to do in our lives and in the church and our service to God, earning our salvation, getting worldly gain, and desiring the preeminence, those kind of come to the top of the list for me. So what is the true power of godliness then? What does that look like in our lives? Well, if those things are the, are the wrong reasons to do it, I think sort of the opposites of those are the true embracing the true power of godliness in our lives. So instead of saying, I'm earning my salvation with my godliness, actually, godliness is the result of my salvation, not the cause of it. And we've done a lot of studying in the book of Romans this year, uh, particularly from Danny. So we gotta be pretty, pretty familiar with this passage When Paul talks about our salvation and what's the cause of that and what you know God the role of grace in our salvation and the role of our own our own sin and our own behavior, where does that how does that all work together? He says in verse one of Romans six, what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's talking about abusing grace here. If grace is the reason for our for our salvation, then can't we just sin and live whatever way we want? And of course, this is certainly not. How should we die to sin and living? How should we who died to sin, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So, what Paul is talking about here is the role that our godly life. He's talking about living a godly life here. Shall we continue in sin? No, we don't want to continue in sin. We want to be a godly people. We want to live the way God wants us to live. But what is the point of that? It's a result of your salvation. It didn't cause your salvation. God didn't save you because you deserved it or because you earned it. He just saved you, and now the life you live in godliness is a life that's lived in thankfulness and gratitude and devotion and service to Him. And so instead of having that form of godliness where we think we're earning our way to heaven, we instead realize it's a true godliness that's a result of the salvation that God has given us. And we live that life in gratitude to him. It's a result of our salvation, not the cause of it. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12 says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him until that day. Commitment. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a life of commit, committed service to God, living a godly life in commit, committed service to him, but not for worldly gain, but rather spiritual gain. And, it, and it's not so much an attitude of, well, what am I gonna get out of this? This is just the end result. This is the reward. You and I, that no, no matter what, Even if things don't work out in this life, even if things happen in this life where we live a life full of misery, we know that at the end of that, in the next life, there's the reward. And so what he's saying here is, I suffer things in this life, is what Paul is saying. There are things that I've had to suffer, hard times that I've been through, things that I've endured that I would not have had to go through had I not been a Christian. Had I not been a follower of Christ, there are things, heartache, tribulation, trial, things I would not have had to go through if I had not been a Christian. But he said, I suffer them. And the reason I do that is because I know whom I've believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. It doesn't matter if I go the rest of my life and don't gain anything in this world. If I live the rest of my life in squalor and poverty, there's a reward at the end. A Godly life is not one that we choose because we think we're gonna get all kinds of things in this life. It's about what comes after. In Matthew chapter five, verse 14 through 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Now, somebody might look at this and say, wait, this is all about the spotlight again, isn't it? This is all about letting people see us. And I thought we weren't supposed to do that. Well, there's a stark difference between diotrophies and desiring to have the preeminence and what Jesus is talking about here. Because it's not about me and it's not about you. It's not about trying to get people to look at me and see how good I am and what I deserve, but rather to see Jesus Christ living in me and leading them to him. It's about winning souls. It's not about just having the spotlight, it's about being the light that shines on Jesus and leading people to him. Do we want people to see us as godly? Of course we do. Why though? Do we want them to just look at me and say, well, that's a real good guy. I want people to think I'm a nice guy. I want people to think I'm godly but I want them to know that I'm following Jesus Christ and that whatever I have in this life and whatever I gain in the next life is not because of what I do, it's because of what he did. It's not because of who I am, it's because of who he is. And I want people to see my good works so I can, they can not glorify me, but glorify God. And I don't want to have just a form of godliness. I want the real thing. Imagine the possibilities of removing this kind of deceitful sin from our lives, from the church, where people aren't trying to deceive other people and just look like they're doing good, only just trying to gain power or money. Or How often is the work of God hindered because somebody desires the preeminence? as a challenge, I hope this morning that you'll consider your own motives. I hope you'll consider the, the godliness of your life. And I hope that we can all look in the mirror and I hope we can not see just a form of godliness, but rather we're embracing the true power of what godliness is supposed to accomplish in our lives. And that it's a result of the fact that we're living in service and gratitude and devotion to the one who gave everything so that our sins could be paid for. And that we're not seeking reward or gain in this life, but we're seeking eternal life and eternity in heaven, praising God. And that we're doing our best to be seen, not to be patted on the back, but to lead other people to Christ. I don't know your situation this morning. I don't know what you may be struggling with, but I do know the answer is Jesus. And if you have never obeyed the gospel this morning, never submitted to the waters of baptism and met the blood of Jesus Christ there, I want to invite you this morning to take that step today. There's no better time than right now. Today is the day of salvation. We encourage you to do that. If you need the prayers of this congregation for any reason, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.